Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dustin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. In the United States, a whopping 89% of teens aged 13 to 17 now have smartphones, a figure that has more than doubled in the last six years. Parents give their kids these devices for numerous reasons, but safety is at the top of the list. It's a handy way to get in touch with your kids and keep tabs on their location. But they don't necessarily know or have control over how their kids are using their phones. And a lot of kids are using these devices for sexual purposes, especially sexting. A lot of adolescents are both sending and receiving sexts, and this is stoking a lot of controversy and debate. On the one hand, some see it as an inherently dangerous trend that has the potential for legal ramifications, as well as for harm if one's sexts are shared non-consensually. On the other hand, some see it as just a natural variation in the way youth explore their sexuality, especially in a world where sexual expression is increasingly going digital for everyone. So let's talk about it. In today's show, we're going to explore the rise in teen sexting, how parents and educators can teach kids about safe sexting, what to do if you're a parent and you've discovered that your teen is sexting, and more. I am joined once again by Dr. Michelle Meek, a writer, filmmaker, professor, and entrepreneur. She is an assistant professor in the Communication Studies Department at Bridgewater State University. Her most recent book, Consent Culture and Teen Films, Adolescent Sexuality in U.S. Movies, delves into the history of adolescent sexuality on screen. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been a trusted source for scientific knowledge and research on critical issues in sexuality, gender, and reproduction for over 75 years. Learn about recent research, events, and student activities at America's premier sex research institute in their recently released annual report on their website. Find it over at KinseyInstitute.org and be sure to follow them on social media at Kinsey Institute. Okay, Michelle, let's talk about sexting. So as smartphones and social media have become ever-present parts of our lives, sexting in general has become increasingly common. But not just for adults, it's common for adolescents too. So what do we know about the prevalence of teen sexting today? How common is this behavior among our youth and who's most likely to do it? So I think that one of the original misunderstandings about youth sexting when it sort of first came into the public eye was that it was very transgressive and rare. Over the several years as cases kind of came to light, it became increasingly understood as actually fairly normative and not at all rare. (laughs) And so, you know, youth are seeing these images, they're asked to send them, they're volunteering to send them. They end up having all the layers of confusing interactions that real world sexual interactions have. Obviously, there's non-consensual sexting happening, but there's also consensual sexting happening. And in general, adolescents today are having less intercourse than they were several decades ago. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they're having less sex. And I think that's sometimes the misunderstanding of how are we defining sex, right? But sexting has become part of 
their sexual journey, which I think is a little bit hard for those of us who didn't grow up in that era to fully comprehend and understand. And it, I think for many of us, it sort of terrifies us because we think, oh, these are permanent. These are dangerous. These could quote, get in the wrong hands. But we do have to kind of contend with it because it is a reality for many youth and it's pretty widespread. Yeah, I think you make an important point there that adolescence is this period of sexual exploration for most people. And when it comes to sexting, there are some in the media who have argued that we shouldn't freak out about it because it's just a normal part of the exploration process. And some also say that, you know, as long as it's consensual and it occurs within the context of an intimate relationship, that it might even be a healthy form of exploration. So I'm curious for your take on this. You know, so much of what we hear about adolescent sexting is that it's necessarily a bad thing. We should be panicking and freaking out about it. What do you think our view on this should be? How how concerned should we be about sexting in general among teens? I think it's so hard because, you know, as adults, we haven't seen these images. I mean, unless you're in law enforcement or you happen to be a parent of a youth who's been, quote, caught <laughs> with one of these images that you've then seen, like, they're off limits for adults. So all we can do is imagine what they must look like. And that leads us sometimes to porn culture, right? We imagine highly pornographic images because that's what we've kind of been fed through the media. And often porn it uses youth, right? There's the whole just 18 or barely 18 kind of type of porn. So I think that's where it's confusing because we haven't actually seen these images. But the way some of them are described certainly don't sound very terrifying to me. But I also think it, there's a huge range. I mean, it's just like, it's like saying, should we be worried about youth and sex? Well, <laughs> maybe. I mean, in, in some cases, we should be deeply worried, right? And in other cases, we shouldn't be worried at all. But certainly we shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't pretend it doesn't exist or hope it's going to go away. Rather, we kind of need to tackle it head on and think about how can we talk to our youth about sexting if we understand that it is ubiquitous and normative and maybe part, they at least see it as part of their sexual development. We need to contend with that. Then it becomes a little bit more about not an abstinence discourse, because I'm just personally not in favor of that in, in general, but rather a sort of safe sexting discourse. Mm -hmm. I had actually personally as a parent kind of at, in my research started in a more abstinence frame of mind with sexting until I had done more research and realized, well, that's hopeless. <laughs> you know? And so then I thought, okay, well, I have to move, you know, get on board with more, like, how can I help them know what they should do in if it, this comes up? Because a lot of youth actually are using sexting as a way to make a foray into sex without it being as scary, without it being as intimate, being able to control it more. Obviously, it's not physical. In so many ways, it actually feels so much safer, I think, for many of them. And so acknowledging that and then addressing it with our youth, I think, is really important. 
Yeah. And you hit on something that I wanted to ask you about, which is what do we know about the reasons why teens and adolescents engage in sexting in the first place? You know, as with any sexual behavior, people's reasons for it vary. So you mentioned that for some people, it is part of sort of this journey of exploring their sexuality. But what might be some of the other motivators or things that are playing a role in this behavior? Well, I mean, we kept youth locked in their rooms for many, <laughs> many months during COVID, right? So I think that, you know, we live in a digital era. Youth are growing up now where they all have basically professional level, <laughs> semi-professional level cameras at their disposal, you know. And I think that there's been so much policing of youth sexuality that in some senses, maybe that's been somewhat effective in the sense that we've kind of emphasized STDs and pregnancy and all of these potentially negative repercussions of sexual intimacy to youth that they're maybe a little bit more hesitant to. But I also think it's just that youth are watched more than they were years ago. I mean... There's less opportunity, you know, so I think there's so many reasons why they've kind of turned to this, but I also think it's it's just part of the digital culture. It's kind of a natural evolution of youth living a lot of their lives online, not just sex, right? Youth see digital interactions in ways that I don't know that adults fully can comprehend social interactions that are are digital texting threads or you know different kinds of ways that they communicate through social media are very real to them we kind of as adults think of them as some kind of poor substitute <laughs> right but i don't know that youth actually agree with that always and so the fact that sex also has kind of gone online for them is seems completely a natural evolution of their lives day to day yeah. And I think that's a really important point about the heightened level of surveillance that exists around kids, you know, with nanny cams and, you know, doorbell cameras. And like, there are all kinds of ways that kids are monitored that they weren't necessarily monitored in the past. And it feels like they might have less freedom to explore their sexuality in person. And so that may lead them to explore more in a digital way. And they might have more privacy or more ability to do that if they've got their own device, if it's password protected, if they can send messages through something like Snapchat where they disappear so that, you know, their parents don't necessarily know what was sent if their phone was checked, right? So it provides that sort of unique opportunity for kids in this generation to explore their sexuality. But I think when we're talking about sexting and, you know, its effects and any potential risks associated with it, it ultimately comes back to how are you defining something like sexting? And sexting could be defined in terms of, you know, images that are sent that could vary in terms of level of explicitness, but it can also be, you know, messages that are sent. It could be communicated through words or emojis. And so, you know, there's lots of different things that are involved here. And so that can also muddy the conversation a little bit when we're talking about something like sexting. But let's talk about the potential risks associated with it. I mean, one obvious one would be if the sexting involves taking nude photos of yourself and you're underage, well, you've created child porn and you've disseminated it. And that could get you in big trouble with the law. But that's not the only risk here. So what are some of the other things that we need to be concerned about with regard to teen sexting and risks so that 
you know, teens can be aware of these things when engaging in that behavior. Yeah. I mean, I do think that some of the, you know, many states have since created laws to protect youth in those kinds of situations, because obviously the child pornography laws were created to protect youth from adult harm. No one ever envisioned that children would be making their own pornography. Like that was not (laughs) something that even came to mind. The assumption was adults would be making it and adults would be exploiting it. And sexting among youth is something that's the opposite of teen films, right? It's being shared among youth. It's by youth. It's for youth. It's not for adults. To some extent, the idea that it's going to get in the wrong hands is always possible for sure. But I think that the fact is that in in many of these cases around youth sexting, children have not actually been put on sex offender lists. Like, I think that's scare tactics that didn't really pan out. Yes, I think that investigators and and police originally, like, were going down that direction. But, you know, when they started these investigations, they started realizing, wait, all of these youth have these images. Like, we can't investigate and put them all up on trial and put them all on sex offender lists. Like, this just doesn't make any sense. So the fact that it was so ubiquitous and normative really made even the police have to reinvestigate rethink how they were going to address these kinds of cases. And they themselves really turned towards solving this through a safe sexting discourse. So I think that, you know, obviously the risk that when you create something, it could be shared with someone else. I think that, you know, I always make sure to tell my kids, like you, you send, whether you put something on social media or you send something privately to a friend, anything that you, you share an email, like what doesn't matter how private you think it is, if you sent it digitally, it's permanent. And someone could be screenshotting it, saving it, sharing it without your consent. Just know that. And that might change the kinds of things that you share. And so I think youth have to be informed about that very fact. There are ways of sexting in safer ways where you don't use your face, for instance, or you know, you don't use identifiable parts of yourself so that someone can't really prove that that's you. There are ways of being more careful about it that are probably highly effective. And, you know, just like any interaction, like, do you trust this person? Why do you trust this person? Are you sure you trust this person? I would like to see us as a society just not be in such a panic over one image that's shared. I mean, what makes me really sad is to hear about a story where a youth, you know, shared an image and and then it was thought they thought privately and then it was shared with other people and then this is devastating to that youth. And to me it's like, okay, ultimately like can we live in a society where a picture of someone's body is just not as uh, traumatic of a reveal? Like I mean, I just don't know why Obviously, we would need to protect children, but I think that I just want to see youth feel not traumatized by the experiences that they have. And and there are situations that could happen where something could get in the wrong hands, perhaps. And I'm not talking about adult pedophiles. I'm talking about like friends of the person you sent it to. It might feel like the end of the world probably when you're 16, but it's not the end of the world and you (laughs) will move on from it, I guess would be what I would want to convey to any youth sort of experiencing that or parent going through that with a youth. Yeah, it is a very difficult thing and it is very traumatizing to people when these 
things happen where something is non-consensually shared and you thought it was private. You know, part of it goes back to we need education around kind of just what can happen when you share things on the internet. And that is an important shift where you need to realize anything you post anywhere online is probably forever, you know, and these things, unless, you know, you're a celebrity who had a nude leak who can hire the right people to get it scrubbed from the internet, you know, it's never fully gone. Some people have it somewhere. You can make it much more difficult to find, but you can never completely eradicate it. So you do need to be careful in terms of what you're putting out there. And I think that that's something that a lot of people just don't understand or haven't put a lot of thought into, especially when they're very young and, you know, haven't had, you know, these experiences before where people have breached their trust in that way. And, you know, I think when it comes to something like adolescent sex thing, you know, whenever you tell adolescents not to do something, it often makes them want to do it even more, right? It's the psychological principle of reactance, right? When we have limits imposed on us and on our autonomy, we often rebel by doing the thing that we were told we shouldn't do. So the just say no abstinence approach probably isn't going to work here. And in fact, could actually backfire and make them more likely to engage in the behavior. So I think this is one of those cases where we really need to take a harm reduction perspective, right? So recognize that, hey, sexting among teens is probably an inevitability. So let's equip them with the knowledge they need so that if they choose to do it, they can do it as safely as possible. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think you gave us some great tips there. But, you know, what might this look like from an educational perspective? Is this something that we need to be talking about more broadly in sex ed programs? Like you said, you know, we really have to come from a harm reduction standpoint. So incorporating it in sex ed, I think would be a great first start. It's so hard though, because, you know, schools are in this very precarious situation where they're dealing with parents from a very diverse set of opinions about sex and youth. And so anything they do is going to be criticized by somebody. So it really, again, kind of comes down to parents doing this with youth. If you happen to live in a place that does have a robust sex ed program with youth, I would say by all means, this should be included in it. But I think that more likely it's really coming down to on an individual basis, having conversations with our children about these topics and making sure that they're informed, not only of the risks, but of the potential rewards and how to how to make sure that they're on the right side of that equation. So, you know, like I said, um, if you're going to do it, doing it in a way where you're hopefully concealing your identity in some way, that you're doing it with someone that you really trust. As you said, you know, thinking that we can just say, don't ever do this because you'll end up on a sex offender list. I mean, first of all, that's a lie. And second of all, that's not helpful because they're going to be asked and they're probably going to do it. So, you know, you're not really informing them in that case of how to do it. There are a bunch of folks who've written some articles about like ways of safe sexting. And and I think that's a great place to start on kind of thinking through what are some of these strategies? Um, the one I liked the most was not using your face because to me that seems like, okay, then if the photo's leaked, it's like, I don't know, that's not me, <laughs> right? <laughs> But that, I don't know if that's always done, but that is that is one option. I mean, like you said, though, the range of images that are talked about under the sort of umbrella of teen sexting are so 
diverse and like vast. I mean, literally in my in the study that I was doing, I found some that were described as a, a teen girl in her bra and her underwear with her hand on her hip, which sounds like so innocuous to me, right? And then under the same idea of teen sexting was something of a, a video of a, a bunch of youth putting whipped cream on themselves and others licking it off. Like that's much more sounds more sexual to me, right? What are we talking about exactly when we're talking about sexting, as you said? And, you know, so obviously if you're sending someone an image, be clothed, have, you know, uh, important body parts that would be more controversial to be exposed, concealed. You know, you can take very sexy images without having to be them to be explicit, Technically, they would still be child pornography, right? Because the laws dictate that any image of youth that is sexual in any way, even if they're clothed, is still child pornography. But a youth is probably not going to get in trouble for having a clothed image of themselves, no matter how sexy at this point in time in society. Like, we've already gone to that dark end of (laughs) criminalizing youth for their normal behavior, and we've come back from that. Yeah, so it all goes back to that really important, like, what are we talking about here question where the qualitative nature of youth sexting might just be totally different from the way that adults are engaging in that behavior. And we might be assuming that, you know, it's much more explicit and graphic than it really is. And so when we're talking about adolescent sexting, it might not even involve nudity in any way. So, you know, there are lots of nuances in this conversation. Now, some research suggests that LGBTQ youth are more likely than their cisgender heterosexual counterparts to engage in sexting. And we know that LGBTQ youth are often left out of sex ed entirely. So how can we ensure that our educational efforts in this area are inclusive of and responsive to all youth? Well, this is also one of my big issues with the affirmative consent discourse and the sexting education discourse, because it's often presumed that the people we need to protect are girls from boys um, who are going to be kind of pushing them to sext, and then they're going to send something. We imagine it to be very explicit. And then, you know, the disaster ensues, right? That's kind of how we imagine it as adults, I think, often. But in fact, you're right. I mean, you know, this affects youth across the gender and sexuality spectrum. And we need to be conscious of that. And we need to be communicative about The same types of issues that occur in heterosexual encounters can occur in same sex and other kinds of encounters. So youth are are still going to be in situations where they might feel pressured to send something, just like I think when, you know, youth are pressured in in physical encounters. So how are they going to address that? What are they comfortable with? How are they going to set their own boundaries? Who do they trust? And I think it's really a lot of the same kinds of of questions, I think, that come up. But certainly there are unique situations, especially because, you know, sometimes people are, quote, in the closet, right? And so the reveal can be more potentially more damaging. Although, again, I would say, like, why do we care? Why are we we in a society where someone's sexuality is this, quote, big reveal? Like, I feel like that's unfortunate. But I think it does raise different issues. And so, again, I'm not surprised that the numbers are higher for queer youth because, 
you know, their relationships are still in society, even today, seen as more transgressive. And so sexting could be a more safe way of testing the waters. But yeah, no, we have to have these kinds of conversations. And I would say that this is one of the reasons why gender and sexuality really needs to be included in sex education. Like it's an outrage to me that those concepts would not be part of every sex education program, as well as consent. I just don't know what you're teaching otherwise. I really don't even understand it. So those are, to me, foundational concepts that we need to have. And that goes whether it's a sex ed program or we're having these conversations with our own children. Yeah, and I agree with that. Now, we're running short on time, but I have one last question for you, which is, let's say you're a parent and you've discovered that your teen is engaging in sexting. For many parents, that might be their worst nightmare. So what's your advice for a parent in this situation in terms of how to broach the issue with their child? I'm sure, you know, some people listening to this, their first reaction would be, I've got to confiscate my child's phone and ground them and whatnot. What do you think the approach should be if you're a parent in this situation? I mean, I think it depends on what happened as a result of that sexting. So let's imagine like the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, right? So in the best case scenario, you find out that they've shared it with someone consensually and that's the end of it, right? I mean, in my mind, that doesn't seem very problematic because they're engaging in an intimate encounter that's consensual with someone in their age bracket. That's not something to panic about, but it could be an opportunity to have some of these conversations about, you know, maybe we haven't brought it up before, but here's why I'm concerned. And here's what some of the things that could happen in these types of situations. And here's ways of doing this in a, in a safer way, maybe. In the worst case scenario, you know, you're, you find out that your child has sent a sex that's gotten shared non-consensually and now has been, has made its way into some someone else's hands or has been shared in some way that makes that youth feel really uncomfortable, right? So in that situation, I think what I would want to do is kind of damage control the situation to make sure that my youth could see the big picture, that someday this won't feel as important as it does right now, even if it feels very upsetting. But in either case, I don't think that my approach would be to confiscate my child's phone because again like what is what's the end game there like they all have phones and we they have them because we want them to have them because we want to know where they are right we want them to be able to communicate with us so the long game of that is just there's no plan in that instead again i would really go back to the same kinds of educational conversations with your child as as i would in the in the first situation but in the second situation i would be really coming from a place of wanting to protect the child from feeling damaged by the situation and being able to see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel where this isn't going to, because we don't want you self-harming because of some kind of reveal. And I think that in that situation, that would be my biggest concern, not the fact that some picture was exposed, but that they might feel that this is so significant that they would go to something like that. And that would be what I, where I would be coming from is to be mitigating those kinds of thoughts. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And thank you for this amazing conversation, Michelle. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of your recent book? 
Absolutely. So I have a website, michellemeek.com. So it's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-M-E-E-K.com. And you can find on there all of my books, links to different films and my writings, and you can reach out to me there too. Perfect. And I'll be sure to include links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. This was fun. And thanks to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>